It could be something deeper. Like maybe she's jealous. Maybe she hates that you're, you're getting in shape and she isn't. Uh, and maybe actually every time you talk about your progress, you're pissing her off every single time you bring it up because you remind her of how she failed and how she is not making any progress in her life. So um, that is like, uh, those are those are real issues that could be going on and you don't know until you start talking about it. Welcome to the Tomination Time podcast. I normally stream diet and fitness on Twitch with my waifu, Helen. These podcasts will be edited portions of the stream. We'll go over diet, fitness, motivation, ergonomics, and more. Don't forget to follow us on twitch.tv slash Tomination Time and leave your notifications on for when we go live. Payans asks, how do you deal with failure? I have decided to stop my cut on Father's Day, but I am not going to hit my goal of 170 pounds. I think I look good. I think I am 8-10% body fat range. I can see veins on my abs, so I should be happy with where I am at. But since I am going to be at 172, 173 pounds, not the 170 pounds, I feel like I failed. And I am not sure why I should be happy. Thoughts? Hey, I have a lot of ways to address this. You are a, you're a regular visitor. Um, he's a regular here. I kind of know him. He's got a lot of drive. He likes to push hard. Uh, he's, he's actually on the, on the Instagram. So go to Instagram.com slash herbs, Tomination, go at Tomination time. I'm talking like a boomer at Tomination time, on Instagram. You can actually see pants in his pictures. Um, let me just pull it up right now, actually. So, uh, pants made some great progress. So you can read his story on the Instagrams here. So let's find him. Success stories, pants, pants, pants. Where are you? There he is. There's, there's the, uh, the pants right there. So go check him out. Sexy man, sexy man, you pants. Anyway, um, so he's feeling like a failure and he's the kind of guy who pushes hard, who drives himself. So my question to pants, the first one I would ask is, who, who are you failing? Who do you feel like you are failing? Okay, Payance, you're here. He's here in chat. He's, he's here live. Um, Payance, if you could, please, let's try to like have a rapid fire back and forth conversation about this. Like, who do you feel like you're failing? You're two pounds short. Now I could try to, I, I can try to paint this picture of why you're successful. Uh, and why this is like, you're doing fantastic. I can talk all about that, but I want to dig down just for a second about who do you think you're failing? Does this come up often in your life? Does it come up where you feel like in the past you have failed people before? You kind of like just lash yourself, mentally lash yourself. <clears throat> so, um, and again, I, I'm going to give all the practical answers in a few minutes, but I just don't think that's helpful to tell someone like, nah, bro, you're great. Ah, oh, bro, you're doing so good. You're doing so good. Sure. From this position that I'm in, I am speaking with authority. I am here speaking to uh, someone in the community that is powerful. Uh, but at the same time, it's also powerful to hear the person out and why they think that. Uh, no, failure for me does not happen, lol. So you don't fail often, right? Pants, like this is kind of a rare thing where you feel like you fail yourself or fail anybody. So he is, um, he says, it feels feels like it fails me because that was the goal I set for myself. And I thought that is where I need to be to look the way I wanted to. 
So, Payance, my other question for you is, have you ever, uh, did you ever create a goal in your life when you were younger that changed over time? Have you ever created a goal when you're younger and you're like, got older, like, well, shit, that was a stupid goal. Really glad I grew out of that and snapped out of that. Has that ever happened to you? If so, a quick example would be nice. Just uh, uh, let me know about that. And I'm going to keep rambling, as I always do. So, it's such a normal thing for us to have moving goals. Um, we are evolving people all the time as we are growing up. Like I hope every couple of years you look back and say like, oh man, I'm, I'm a better version of me today. Uh, I have, you know, I, I'm a better version of me. I've, I've changed things. So I'll give you an example. Like when I was in middle school or like elementary school, I wanted to be a genetic engineer. Um, I thought it was so cool to be able to like, you know, manipulate, you know, manipulate and splice genes and stuff. I'm really glad I didn't because that sounds like really boring, tedious work. So um, our opinions of things evolve and change. Our goals evolve and change. What I thought would be a good job when I was in middle school is different from what I think is a good job in high school, which then is different when I'm in college and so forth. Um, same thing with losing weight. When you are uh, trying to lose weight, trying to cut, at like when you're at your heaviest, you're like you got a belly, you don't see any abs, you pick a target for where you think you should go and aim for for the pounds lost. That's fine. You can do that strategy. I do that strategy. You don't have to. Not everyone has to do that strategy of I'm going to pick this number and I'm going to go for it. But you got to understand that things are going to look different when you get there, and that's okay. Um, how you respond to weight loss and what you look like at the end of the the uh, the cut is gonna evolve and change, and that's normal because uh, I give this advice in terms of like you should plan to have to push harder or or, or um, go further than you thought um, uh, with the original. So what I mean is, if I'm 220 pounds, I'm gonna cut. I want to get abs, and um, I think I want to get to 170 pounds to see my abs or whatever. Then I am going to um, I suggest for that person, aim to cut a little bit below 170 so you're not disappointed. Uh, so you're not disappointed like, oh man, I didn't hit my goal. Okay, so, Payne says, oh, light bulb. As in everything I just said resonated or you're typing something out right now and I can't tell if you're typing something out. Uh, Frank, thank you for the raid. Uh, I'll address you in just a second. But um, yeah, Jimmy says, 170 pounds is probably somewhat of an arbitrary number. The difference between 170 and 172 is rather small. If you like the way you look, why does the number matter? And that right there, folks, 100% is correct. The actual goal keeps evolving. What matters more is how you look, unless you have, with, unless you're competing somewhere, if you are just trying to do fitness to look good and feel good, did you do you look good? Do you feel good? The number is just to kind of help guide you It's more of a guidance than an actual like uh, should be the solid number. Now, for, I understand from like the, the purpose of like um, progress pictures is nice to have a nice clean number of like 170 or 175 or 165. It just it feels nice to type it out. But like, OK, we can acknowledge that, but just move past it. And like, what are we missing out on? Dude, it's Father's Day coming up. You're going through some high stress events right now. Like we're in COVID, we got to take care of our kids and work. And it's just like, we don't get a break. There's a lot of stress going on right now. No wonder this is difficult to keep cutting. No wonder this is uh, uh, getting harder and cut yourself a break, man. Enjoy your father's day. Like seriously, it's father's day. Enjoy it, man. Um, so the, the actual numbers 
like you dropped many pounds down. Let me double check the numbers. You dropped about 30 pounds down and you're two pounds shy. Like let's just set, set zeroing in on, on those two pounds, the two pounds that you didn't get, we should be zeroing in or zooming in on the fact that you dropped like 30 pounds. That's a lot. And just realize that the two pounds in the big picture is kind of nothing. And we zoom out, then we realize like, oh, this is it's just two pounds is nothing versus the 30 pounds that you have dropped. So um, keep that in mind. And he says, part of me wanting to get lean was to look good and thinking about this failure. Part of that was to be more attractive to my wife. And you know what? I have not gotten any feedback from her. Actually, this is, now we're getting deep. He wanted to look good for his wife and he thinks he failed because he did not get feedback from her. Bro, ghosted by his wife, did not even achieve that goal. How does it make you feel, Pans? You try to do something for the waifu and then she says, nothing how do you feel about that pans why wife why the feels are real man hey i i feel you on that too like you had expectation uh something didn't go that way like, this is why i think it's important to ask the question like why why do you feel like you failed who are you failing what did you fail and so we kind of dig into that we kind of learn a little bit more about ourselves um so because just telling someone it's not a big deal, man. Hey, man, it's not a big deal. I mean, he obviously feels like it's a big deal. He feels like it's a big deal, big enough to come here and talk about it. Um, but to just like often just tell someone like, man, hey, bro, bro, it's fine. You look good. You look good, bro. You're basically saying you're wrong. You're an idiot. Now listen to me because you're dumb and you don't understand it. Thank you. Thank you. Like that's that's essentially what you are uh, teaching to that person. Now, um, Understanding and digging down into this, I think is very useful. And like, so pants, like, this is a new problem now. Uh, this is a new issue of communication. What's your relationship with your wife like? Um, I, I think the kinds of roads I would approach with this is like, think about your guys ability to communicate with each other. Like, do you guys have pretty good communication where you can just openly talk about like, uh, how you feel about like disappointments or expectations, stuff like that, right? Communicate it in like a non-judgmental attacking way, right? Because if you if, you're, if you guys communicate and you attack and it ends up like escalating very fast, it's very unproductive, okay? So assuming you guys have good communication skills with, with each other, I would talk to her and tell her like you actually really enjoy the validation from her. Like you do some of these things for her. Now, how you phrase that is key, but I think it's important to communicate that because support from your spouse, I think is really important. Right now in our culture, we're too far down the line of, bro, just do it, do it for you, sister. Look good for you, forget about him, forget about her. It doesn't matter, just do it for you and you're the only one that matters. Look, we are humans, we live in communities. We, um, like it's a part of the human experience to get love and acceptance and validation from those around us. Um, is it so bad that it's pathological and you can't function on a daily basis without getting someone to compliment you? That's a different story. That's a different extreme. Payans, you've been around here a while. You don't strike me as that type. Um, but at the same time, getting validation from a loved one is really nice. 
It's so pans. You don't know. Like she might also be so busy with all this that she just didn't even notice, or she didn't realize you want to uh, hear the validation because something else is going on in her head, or it could be something deeper. Like maybe she's jealous. Maybe she hates that you're, you're getting in shape and she isn't. Uh, and maybe actually every time you talk about your progress, you're pissing her off every single time you bring it up because you remind her of how she failed and how she is not making any progress in her life. So um, that is like, uh, those are, those are real issues that could be going on and you don't know until you start talking about it. Um, again, I would, I would slowly like broach this topic of like trying to understand where she's coming from. Uh, and just tell her. So like the way I would start the conversation would be, um, you know, obviously wait for a good time. Um, uh, wait for a good time to talk to her about this. But I would say like, um, let me think about this for a second to make sure I, I phrase this intelligently. Uh, I would say, um, I'm get I've been making a lot of progress, the diet and fitness stuff. What do you think about my progress? And just keep it very open ended and see where it goes from there. That's one aspect. Uh, there might be other ways too, uh, which is you could just be more direct about it and just say like, um, I'm. I, I gotta think of the right way to phrase this. This might take some time. And so you just ask me later offline, but uh, I feel oh, I'm, I've been feeling like I've been making great progress in my, in my like, you know, diet and fitness. And I'm very happy for it, but I'm concerned that you aren't happy for me or you aren't happy. You aren't celebrating it with me. And I just want to know what you think about that and just keep it very open-ended. Um, it's, it's a very tricky thing. And again, it, it depends on your relationship with her. I feel like um, there are better ways to phrase this. And I'm dropping, I'm having a brain fart right now. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Dr. K, exclamation mark, DRK, Healthy Gamer GG. He has a YouTube series about communicating with people. A lot of his stuff is about communicating with people well. Um, and let me see if I can post a link to one really quick. He has a playlist about. Uh, a webinar about this stuff and he has one on communication which is there's there's one that's more specific to this case i just um can't find it but uh here's one his guide to a conversation which touches on some of this stuff it touches on some of these things and um I'll have to think about other videos that might reply, relate to this, but I, I posted a link to his uh, video. It's on YouTube. It's called Psychiatrist Guide to Conversation, Healthy Gamer Webinar Number 7. And he basically goes over having these tough conversations with people and uh, a lot of the reflective listening and getting on the same page with the person and just disarming egos, disarming like defensive mechanisms. So it's very good. Uh, anyway, but again, so with someone, a loved one like this, Right, this is a, this is a complex, complex situation, right? The whole question has now shifted because the actual problem was not like Payne's needs to hear it from us. Hey man, you look great. Payne's, you look great, man. I think you look great. You look fantastic. No, you're an idiot. You're not. No, you didn't fail, idiot. You're, you look great, idiot. Stop thinking what you're thinking because it's wrong, right? That's not very helpful. Uh, his real issue deep down inside, it sounds like we got to have like, you got to understand the relationship with him and his wife and talk about this. Like, where's, where are your feelings coming from of like, you want her validation and you feel like you failed her. Where is that coming from? Did that happen in the past? Have you felt like that before? 
those kinds of things versus like, why does she not validate what you're saying? Is it just, she just didn't think about it. She didn't know that's a love language guys. Humans need validation. Okay. I, I think it's a foolish idea to get into a relationship thinking that the other person doesn't need to, you don't need to validate the other person. It feels very good to receive and give validation to your partner. And I think that's a very good thing to do as long as it's not going too extreme where it's just like they they, they live for that stuff. That's a different issue. But um, there's balance. There's balance. And I think that is something that parents, you're going to have to just communicate that with her. Okay. Yeah, exactly. MG Weird has another good point too, which is she's also seen it gradually rather than one big step, which can make it stand out more. Yeah, she may not even notice it. Like other things too, uh, she may not even notice that you are... Um, that you made this progress or she might even not like it. She might even feel like you're too skinny. I actually like thick boys like that. That, that might be her, her preference. I don't know. I really don't know. So it could be any one of those. But until you start talking to her about that, you may not know. Like with waifu, I know she likes lean with waifu. She and I are on the same page about our ideal body types is just uh, relatively lean. We like being lean. We don't like thick. So um, that's our preference. So she actually doesn't mind when I'm pretty lean. And I have abs showing right now. I'm bulking, so I'm not necessarily the leanest, but um, she likes it. Uh, other people have commented before that they don't like seeming that lean, which is fine. They can make their comments. I'm in this space, so it makes sense they do that. But um, other people don't. Uh, they make the comments that they prefer their preference to the opposite sex is someone who is bigger and thicker and higher body fat percentage, which is fine. That's their preference. But the important thing is you kind of have a conversation about that. Bros and Blokes says, what are some good cues when it comes to positioning and movement for a barbell back squat? For example, where should the feet be? What's the best grip placement and so forth? So um, I asked for more context and he was basically saying that um, he's wondering for the context of someone starting out. Uh, he's curious on my take or if there are cues that he could use with his clients moving forward. So I, I like to do my style of coaching is Okay, I have a personal tendency to just information dump too much um, information dump too much. And I need to kind of back off of that and use less information because less is more sometimes. You know what I mean? So, like, I try to aim more for that because I know my tendency is just to give too much. Now, that being said, uh, the way I like to coach is with minimal effective dose and just see where people are at. Meet them where they're at. So when I'm teaching someone squats or deadlifts, I show them that, like they've never really done it before. I'll show them generally how to do it, and I'll correct very obvious form issues. Uh, other than that, I'm gonna let them kind of do squats and deadlifts as they see fit, and then assess where they're, where they're at from there, and then try to change like, what's the the lowest hanging fruit, or the, what's the maximal impact um, change that I can give one thing at a time, and not overload them with cues. So, um, that being said, there's a lot of cues out there, and I really do not like the generic cues, of stuff like, bro, just drive through the heels. Oh, you're gonna squat, drive through the heels, drive through the heels, drive through heels, 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 heels. And that's all you hear. And I'm, I'm just not a fan of that cue because it's missing a lot of stuff. Um, driving through heels for the wrong person is gonna make them fall back. Like you can look this up, it's kind of scary. Like uh, heavy squatting, drive through heels, falling back. Like that's a thing because they're focused so much on the wrong thing. Um, so let me start with um, what I will teach and how I get them to start. And then obvious form issues I might I might try to spot. And then uh, a couple examples of correcting corrective cues. So starting with uh, squats. With squats, generally have them start with uh, their foot their, their their foot stance 
somewhere between I give ranges because honestly, like everyone's anatomy and mobility is different. So I start with uh, I give them some sort of range and then just see what they feel comfortable doing. Uh, so foot stance somewhere between hip width to shoulder width. If they want to go a little bit wider than that, that's fine too. Um, foot angle should not be straightforward if you're planning on hitting depth, unless you got some really freak anatomy or uh, freak mobility. But most people should have some their feet pointed out at least a little bit, somewhere between like five degrees to 45 degrees, somewhere in this zone, and also the foot width somewhere. So again, somewhere in this zone to whatever feels comfortable. Now finding, dialing that in, um, I don't care so much unless I, I think there's a problem with stability, then I'll have them try different uh, foot stances. There's other guides online you can look up about like getting on all fours, quadruped, and trying to find the right position, what's your right uh, stance. You can do go through those drills if you want to find out like what you think your ideal uh, width is, uh, squat width. Anyway, um, the next general cue is, or, or, or general form for um, deadlifting that I go through is get the um, hit depth where basically you're going to about parallel. Uh, if you're competing, then you should go a little bit, if you're competing for powerlifting, go a little bit past parallel. Honestly, more range of motion, the better, as long as you can get there safely and you're pain-free and you're not rounding your lower back severely. I mean, a little bit of rounding is fine, but like if you're trying to go ass to grass and your, your lower back looks like this, you gotta be asking yourself, why are you going so low? Is it really necessary to go that low? Um, because it's not a guaranteed injury like instant injury for having a rounded lower back, but it starts to become a risk injury, like um, risk reward ratio. Uh, the more rounded your lower back is during squats or deadlifts, the bigger the concern is for a potential injury, depending on the person. In my case, um, I am not resilient. I am pretty likely to get injured having a rounded back. I just know my history and I know what I'm tolerant of and what I'm not tolerant of. Uh, so, of course, my bias is towards going more towards the neutral spine and, and trying to avoid any kind of rounded back. Um, so that's another thing. The other thing is uh, for basic form, just making sure that they're hinging at both the knee and the hips. That is, both the hips and the knees should be closing and opening together. So what I mean is, as I'm squatting down, my knee angle is closing and also my hip angle is closing too. I'm hinging, right? So both of these are col are collapsing together and they're going up together and straightening out. So that's kind of like the basics I have them focus on. And from there, we see what to focus on. Uh, so like the other general guiding principles that I use are going for where you feel strongest, usually stoints, uh, stoints, joints stacked and uh, feel, getting the best core tightness. So some like more advanced things to think about, like you're asking about grip placement. I would place grip to where you can feel the tightest the tightest and the strongest for your squat. Generally speaking, that's gonna be having it really tight. But if it's so tight that it's hurting your wrist because you don't have the mobility, then you gotta kind of gauge like, is it really worth it for me to try to work on the mobility? Do I really care about that? Um, how much work do I have to put in? Is it holding back my squats right now? Because there's so many different things you can focus on to try to improve like your squats or deadlifts. There's almost too much to focus on. And so again, this is like, that was an advanced, advanced example about like dialing in your grip mobility, especially if you're doing like low back squats versus high back. Um, I'm sorry, uh, low bar squats versus high bar squats. Those are things that um, I don't, I place as like a secondary importance. Just like let them pick whatever they want initially. Because again, um, yes, lat activation is important for the movement, but I wouldn't put it th as that high of an importance compared to like the other stuff I mentioned, which is their starting foot position should um, be within that zone. 
unless they've already discovered that for some reason they do really well with like 2x with like sumo squat style where like your foot position is super wide relative to your uh, hips and shoulders so like lat activation i think is important but i put it like as a lower importance for beginners to focus on similar with bench press Leg drive, I think, is fantastic for bench press and people should use leg drive. However, leg drive, I think, is advanced and difficult. It's a difficult concept and, and uh, skill to teach to where I don't think it's necessary for beginners to really focus on that. Like focus on the most important stuff uh, like core bracing. I would focus on uh, the concept of core bracing over focusing on lat activation, even though lack activation is a part of core bracing, but that's a specific part to the general concept. Makes sense. I start with the most general concept stuff first and then start zeroing in on things. I don't like telling people specifics for like activate your lats, like feel it in your traps, pull down the bar. Actually, no, pull down the bar is um, a more generic cue, but like focusing on lat activation. I don't like zeroing in on that stuff. It's just, to me, it's the same as like uh, drive through your heels. Those are corrective. I would view those as corrective cues if the person if, if, if the client or the person trying to squat or deadlift is exhibiting uh issues where it's kind of obvious that they, they need some correction there and then i would give them a specific cue so the cue is like what do you think about to get that mind muscle connection what do you think about to execute the lift because um take for example like deadlifts you're you're working your posterior chain which is your back side so you're wearing uh, in particular your low back your, your spinal erectors which is like the two pillars of muscle that follows your spine the glutes and hamstrings. Those are the major movers that are contracting and lengthening. You've also got pretty much the entire body as an isometric hold where you're trying to like tense the muscles to get tight and then you're holding like, for example, your, your traps and your lats, they're not really lengthening, extending, um, but are contracting and lengthening, but they are um, getting tight, right? So they're still being used. So um, for the deadlift, I forgot I was going with this. I had a brain fart just now. Um, we were talking about deadlift position and cues. So if on a deadlift for the cue, like you're using all those muscles, but it does not mean you should be individually thinking about every single muscle. If you're doing a simple bicep curl or like actually take for one of my favorite examples, triceps. Uh, if you're doing like certain tricep movements, like let's say you have a machine, you have a cable and you're just, you know, pushing down, you know, the grip position that you choose for like pronated palms facing down versus neutral versus supinated or palms facing up, that's gonna change what the focus is on the head. And so in that sense, yes, I would focus on cueing like, yeah, really feel it in the lateral head or the medial head or the long head of the tricep as you're doing it. Like you're doing the supinated grip, yeah, feel it in the long head, right? Those kinds of cues, I don't think make sense for heavy compound movements. Heavy compound movements is better to focus on a single cue or two maybe three, but like whatever it is to get you in position. So for example, um, for squats, um, the, the balance should feel like, uh, you should feel like you are balanced over your midfoot. That is the center of your weight feels like it's over the middle of your foot. It's not too far forward. We feel like you're falling forward, not too far back where you're going to drive through your heels and fall back. So if the person is exhibiting issues where they're saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm experiencing knee pain on the front or the, the, the top of my knee and um, I'm looking at them and it seems like they're tipping forward too much and like they're almost coming off their heels, then their center of gravity is too far forward. So how do we correct that? We can use corrective cues such as drive through your heels. And in that person's case, I would say drive through your heels, drive through your heels. Um, same example with me, actually, I did use drive through my heels for my deadlift. The, uh, the bar 
I was a little bit too far forward. Shoulder blades a little bit too far forward. And also the bar um, colliding with my knees slightly on the way up. So a corrective cue for me was also like, uh, I used two different cues to kind of do that. Drive through heels is okay. Cause that kind of, it, it was helping me get my knees out of the way sooner. And the second cue uh, I actually liked better was pull knees back. So um, that one worked better for me in terms of getting my knees out of the way, which was pull my knees back. And also I, I used some different cues to set up. So anyway, um, so bros and blokes, hope that helps. Uh, again, I, I choose the style of let's pick a broad, set of guidelines that will encompass like 95% of the population and then zero in on stuff depending on the person's problems. I, I don't like the typical fitness magazine advice of where they just kind of throw it at you all at once, drive through heels, like keep your core tight, like brace your belly and like all the other stuff that um, is, I think, information overload for the average person, just not necessary. Legendary Bob Ross or Rob Boss says, I feel like I need to work on my squatting form better. I tend to be glute heavy. So sometimes I feel like I have to lean over too much so I don't fall backwards. Uh, my back is straight, but I think I have to lean in more than I, I see some do. Uh, he's doing low bar squats. Let me skim through what he said. He's doing low bar squats and he's afraid he's hinging too much to uh, basically not fall backwards. And so I asked him like, why does he think he's doing that? Does he have any symptoms or any other problems? Uh, and he says that he can't hold a squat on the heels, like as in heels to floor. He feels like his heels can't stay on the floor unless he hinges a lot because he's not used to being in a squat position for extended periods of time. He feels balanced on the balls of his feet, which is the front of the foot when he squats, but I know that's bad form, but I can't free squat with heels to floor without hinging forward a lot and extending my arms out. Um, so, so first of all, let's, let's not compare air squats or bodyweight squats to uh, low bar barbell back squats. They're fairly different and it's kind of a normal thing that in terms of balance, yeah, you got to extend your arms out when you do a bodyweight squat. Uh, I, this is one of the reasons why I prefer to do goblet squats um, to test people's mobility and just to see if they can get into the hole, if they can get in the hole or not. So, um, Rob boss is not even worry about that right now. Let's just focus on the barbell squat. So, um, he goes barefoot. He is wondering, should feet be positioned wider than shoulder width on squats? So we talked about this earlier and just to recap on a couple of points. Um, most people should start with their squat width. Basically their feet are under their hips, hip width or feet under their shoulders. If you want to go a little bit wider, go ahead as long as you're stable. Now, um, foot angle, same thing. Should be somewhere between like five degrees out to maybe 45 degrees out. It's a range, okay? You can play around the range. You can even go out wider if you feel more stable. Feel strong, feel stable. Uh, in general, stacked joints, you're gonna be the strongest. So, um, he's having stability issues. I would like to see a form video, sim your videos. But basically the, um, the main myth I want to dispel is hinging as being bad. Now, like when you're squatting, you should be hinging. You should have your hip angle and knee angle. Both, uh, both are closing, right? I am hinging forward at the hips 
or my, my hip angle is decreasing as I'm going down, so is my knee angle. They're both closing and opening at the same time. So don't think that you need to stay upright, vertical, like try to squat like this. Like I see, why do people quarter squat? One of the reasons why they quarter squat is because they can't hit depth uh, because they're too vertical. I'm trying to stay vertical, stay vertical, stay vertical. I can't go lower. How the hell am I gonna go lower without falling over? Like if I keep trying to stay vertical like this, I feel like I'm gonna fall. I'm gonna fucking fall backwards. It is not stable and it hurts my knees. Uh, to do that versus let myself hinge forward. I'm tipping forward now while I'm squatting down. That's a natural squat. So, wait a second, Rob Boss, you can goblet squat just fine. It just happens when you do low bar squat with dumbbells. I have a problem with that statement. You're doing low bar squat with dumbbells. That's no longer a low bar squat. Low bar squat requires a bar, not dumbbells. Can you elaborate on that? Those are two different movements. So, and just to explain, um, back squats or barbell squats. Let's ex explain that really quick. Um, the most common barbell squat you'll see is uh, the back squat where the bar is gonna be usually in one to two positions. It's a range, but typically you're gonna see high bar squat where the bar is basically below the neck. I mean, it should, it should never be on, don't, don't rest on your neck. This is, this is wrong. Uh, at the top of your traps or basically the base of your neck, like down here should not be actually on your neck. Okay, that's gonna hurt. Um, that's high bar back squat or just high bar squat. Low bar is, this, uh, my, the, my bench is in the way, I need to change position. Low bar squat is it's gonna be, instead of being up here on your traps, it's gonna be a little bit lower on your posterior deltoids. And so the start position, you can't stand upright like this, right? Like even the high bar squat is very difficult to stand completely upright without falling backwards or letting the bar roll off your body. So in the start position of a high bar squat, you're slightly hinged to be, you know, have the gravity, have your center of mass over the um, center of your foot. The low bar squat, is gonna be uh, lower on your back, meaning if you're upright, it's gonna fall off. So you have to be, your starting position, you're gonna be a bit more hinged. Low bar squat requires more hinging at the hips, which it's uh, in some ways more similar to a deadlift. Than, um, but I mean, high bar squat, low bar squat have a lot in common. It's just low bar squat, you're using slightly more low back, slightly less quads. Anyway, Rob Boss says, I thought low bar was from the ground. Okay, so we had a difference in definitions here. Uh, he's not doing low bar squats. He's doing dumbbell squats. Uh, you squat with the dumbbells on each side. What's that called? Just dumbbell squats. Dumbbell squats where you have the, um, the dumbbells. Dumbbell squats are, I'm grabbing my dumbbells now. Uh, you have the dumbbells at your sides like this, whatever's comfortable, whatever allows you to hold it. Uh, such that your arms aren't fatiguing first. Your arms will fatigue a bit. So this is slightly uncomfortable. It's gonna take some time to uh, develop your arm muscles or whatever is the weak, weak link before your quads fail. But anyway, the point is you just keep them at your side and then you're squatting down. So if it's resting on your shoulders, I don't care. Uh, as long, and you're gonna have to change the angle at which you're hinging to stay balanced, okay? This is gonna be kind of a variable, uh, variable position of just find something that's comfortable where you're holding the dumbbells and you're not failing because the, the arms are, are fatiguing. You're failing because your quads fatigue. Okay, so beyond that, I don't care what the angle is that much. Um, Greg Knuckles. Greg Knuckles, N-U-C-K-O-L-S. 
Greg Knuckles from StrongerByScience.com. He uh, has articles where he explains. He'll he'll like actually you can find a lot of diagrams online about this. But like um, low bar back squat, high bar back squat, front squat where the bars across your chest, um, all that stuff where he kind of like shows the difference of positioning, how much hip angle and knee angle is being used in all of those. It's very interesting to look at. So anyway, Rob Boss. So let's let's restart your question. I'm trying to dumbbell squat, please help. Okay, so to redo your question from there, same stuff applies. Find a, an appropriate foot and uh, hip position that's comfortable and go to hit depth, position the dumbbells such that you can hit depth and uh, feel stable and you uh, your arms are resting the dumbbells such that, I mean, you don't have to rest the dumbbells. It's just don't let your arms fatigue first. Let your quad, you want your quads to fatigue from all of this. And... Don't worry about the hip angle. Don't worry about the knee angle. Just hit depth, feel stable. Okay? Dutch Ride is asking for a supplement review of omega-3 fish oil. So this one, Dr. Tobias, omega-3 fish oil, triple strength, 2,000 milligrams, burpless. I've never had an issue with burps, by the way, so I don't know if, something, if that's something I even care about. 180 soft gels. So what I care about most is what does it cost? One-time purchase. Oh, whoops, whoops. Got to show on the screen. Huh. Um, Dr. Tobias, omega-3 fish oil strength. So it's a, uh, it's like 30 bucks for 180 capsules. Okay. What's inside? Let's take a look here. It is giving us, so 90 servings of 800 milligrams of EPA, 600 milligrams of DHA. This is what we really care about, by the way. We want to uh, pay attention to how much are we paying for the EPA and DHA. Not so much for like how many gels are we getting. It doesn't matter if the gels are like super, if we're getting like 300 gels, but there's super low density on that stuff. So let's do a quick comparison on the cost since we're here. Uh, I'll be comparing this against Legion's uh, Triton fish oil because, hashtag sponsored, but also because um, I know their stuff fairly well. So, and I, I know it's a good fish oil. Dr. Tobias, we are paying, um, let's do the math really quick. So $30, we're getting 90 servings of, I'm just going to lump the EPA and DHA together as 1.4 grams or 1400 milligrams. No, we'll do 1.4 grams. Okay, so 90 servings times 1.4 grams of the EPA DHA divided by the cost, $30. So how much, what's the price? Okay, this is this is how I shop for things to see, is it is it a good deal? 90 servings times 1.4 grams divided by $30, 4.2. So it's 4.2, wait a second, this is upside down. Hold on, hold on. I have, I have this upside down. Hold on. That was close. Whew. $30 divided by this. Units matter, guys. This is why like, I say it out loud because I can double check the units. Okay, so $30. $30 divided by 90 divided by 1.4 gives us, we're paying 23, 24 cents per uh, gram of EPA DHA. Okay, so let's do a quick comparison on how much we're paying. Someone double check me on the math and make sure I didn't like forget something. So 
Chris, I don't care about you. Sorry, buddy. Let's go to their fish oil Triton. We'll do some other uh, comparisons in a second. But anyway, so it's $31. Never mind that you can use the code TOM for 20% off your first purchase plus double loyalty points that you get back. But let's do the math here really quick. So 31, 31.50 divided by how many servings are we getting? Let's zoom in a bit. We have uh, 30 servings. 14.50. So I'm going to add these together really quick. The EPA DHA. I'm going to add that together as... 1440 plus nine, what was it again? 960 equals 2.4 grams. So let me clean, let me clean this up a little bit. Okay. Um, I'm going to clean this up with parentheses and stuff because order of operations matters. Uh, I'm being a little bit sloppy here, but since people might read this, I want to make sure they're understanding it correctly. Okay. So, all right. So um, we have the math here. So let's do the math for Legion's Triton. 31.50 divided by 30 divided by 2.4 equals 43 cents. Okay, so that's more expensive. Now we have something to compare it against. And I am Team Legion. I am a fan of it, but I'm not a fan of everything they do in every case. So uh, per gram of EPA DHA. All right, so we have a cost comparison here. Per gram of EPA DHA, it's a little bit cheaper to go with Dr. Tobias's stuff. So it might be, it might be a good price, right? Maybe. Let's keep looking at what else do we get from it. Okay, so um, back to Dr. Tobias' stuff. So one thing that we look at is how much EPA DHA does it have? Because that's the stuff that we are very, very bad at making on our own. So therefore, it is uh, kind of a, an essential nutrient in that sense. Technically, it's not because we can synthesize it, but we need to get, we basically need to get omega-3s and omega-6s in our diet. Most of us in the Western world, we consume way too much omega-6, which is pro-inflammation, which basically is where you might hear a lot about, a lot of talk about, oh, so infl high inflammation, pro-inflammation, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's many aspects that's kind of an umbrella term, but one aspect that we can zero in on is the omega-6 to omega-3 balanced rate, uh, the ratio, where essentially our ancestors consumed somewhere between like a one-to-one -one ratio or a four-to-one ratio of six to three. Basically, uh, one gram omega-3, you get four grams omega-6. Some uh, some scientists will argue that it's more about the ratio than the absolute amounts. I don't think there is a, um, I don't think we know for sure, but this is just kind of paint the background about omega-6 and omega-3. In the Western world, a lot of us get plenty of omega-6. So to get that ratio back in check, you can either up your omega-3s, which is probably a good idea for a lot of us if you don't eat a lot of fatty fish, and uh, bring down the omega-6s because omega-6s will usually lurk in unusually high amounts if you are consuming a lot of uh, junk food, processed food, or anything with cheap oils. Exclamation mark oil. You can see a list of cheap vegetable oils compared to like the healthier cold-pressed oils like olive oil, coconut oil, avocado oil, and so forth. Now, let's get back to this actual review of this particular product. So, all right. So, because uh, like when you see stuff like it has this many milligrams of EPA and DHA per serving, that's nice, but I care about how much am I paying for that, all right? So anyway, um, let's keep looking. It is 100% non-GMO wild-caught fish. Okay, that's kind of an important part. I want to know what kind of fish are they catching because I do not want large fish. 
I do not want large predatory fish. I want small cold water fish because they're probably going to have a lot less other, um, a lot less uh, heavy metals and, and toxins in them. That is a concern if you take a cheap fish oil that you're going to be consuming a lot of heavy metals and toxins in the long run. But let's see if they mention in the description somewhere about what it is they're doing. So I'm looking for other stuff. Um, yeah, they do the purification. But unless they give me like specifics on what they're doing, I'm going to take this with a grain of salt because everyone's going to list pretty much the same stuff for their description. All right. So let's scroll down and see what else they say. I'm going to zoom in a little bit so it's easier to read. Our fish oil comes from wild caught fish, not farm raised. OK, that's fine. But what's the what kind of fish I'm looking for it? They do it quickly, preserve the purity every drop. Yeah, sure. Low temperature is a good idea because you don't want your um, uh, fish oil in general is unstable because it's a PUFA, polyunsaturated fatty acid, and um, you don't want it to go rancid. You don't want it to oxidize, but let's keep going. They have not mentioned the fish, which to me, that's a sign of a they're, they're If they don't like the more specifics they mention in the description about how good their product is, that is usually a sign that they're not cheaping out. If they get very generic, that's a sign they're cheaping out. So because they have not mentioned if this is like, is it sardines, is it anchovies, or is it tuna and salmon? Like, I don't want tuna and salmon. Those are large predatory fish, more likely to have heavy metal. Okay, so let's keep going. Let's see if they mention it anywhere. They're not mentioning it anywhere yet. If they do mention it somewhere, please tell me if I missed it in chat. Leftover shark. Yeah, seriously, it could be leftover shark. Who knows what they're, what they're using? So they don't mention that. They also don't mention, they, they say they, they do a purification process, but unless they give me some sort of numbers or they tell me what it is, I, I'm not a huge fan of that. Okay, here it goes. Contains fish. So it contains... Herring, anchovies, sardine, salmon, and mackerel. Okay, salmon and mackerel, or it depends on the mackerel, but salmon's kind of a big concern there. Sardines, anchovies, and I believe herring is also counts as a small fish. So that's good they mentioned it here. Good. Um, I do not know if there is an order in terms of how much is coming from which. Not a huge fan that it, conclude, that it includes salmon, but we'll kind of give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here that uh, it looks like it was good fish. Soy, why add soy? The soy is most likely because of a preservative or part of the packaging. That's just how it is. And they have to mention it for allergens. This is allergen warning. The way, of, no tuna, the way of fish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sianna, you, you actually don't want tuna for a fish oil. <clears throat> anyway. Um, and it contains some natural vitamin E. I wish they would tell me how much vitamin E is in here. My guess is because they don't mention it on here, there's, that there's nil. There's like very trace amounts. Um, I don't know for sure, but I wish they would have said that because vitamin E is nice and is useful for um, is nice and useful for fish oils and PUFAs because it helps stabilize them. Vitamin E helps prevent oxidation of PUFAs. Anyway, is there anything else they mention here about where is the fish sourced from? So let's see if they mention it. Doesn't say, it says wild caught. Try contact the company directly. It says in the box, salmon. This person doesn't understand the question. Um, same concerns. Yeah, so they don't mention where the fish is sourced from, which is also kind of important. Uh, is it really from polluted waters or not? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but generally speaking, in terms of marketing, they will always 
if they're cutting corners to save money and make something cheaper, they're never going to say it. But if someone's spending the extra money on something to say, like, we're going the extra mile, they're going to market that. So let's compare that against Legion's Triton. Okay, we already did the cost comparison, which again is right here. Dr. Tobias's, we're paying 24 cents per gram versus Legion's Triton is about double, almost double the price per gram. And no one in chat has fact-checked me in the sense that I uh, screwed up anything. So they haven't. I haven't screwed up on the math yet, I think. So anyway, so going here, they have uh, vitamin E, which again, I think is very nice, and lemon oil to prevent oxidation and rancidity. I don't know why that's not done more often. Vitamin E, I don't think is that expensive. Like I wish more fish oils would come with vitamin E to prevent oxidation. Vitamin E is like the vitamin that keeps our PUFAs in our body in check. If you are low on vitamin E, then uh, if you're like deficient in vitamin E, then you might have problems where your polyunsaturated fatty acids become destabilized. So uh, what does that mean in terms of actual diagnosis? I'm not sure. I forgot. I read about it one time. And I was like, oh shit. Yeah. I mean, like most of us are not going to be PUFA deficient. That's not a common thing. I don't want to scare people. But in terms of having a fish oil capsule that has an extra vitamin in there to keep it stable, it makes complete sense. So I think that's a, that's a big plus. Uh, stability of it so it doesn't, go it doesn't oxidize. Now, scrolling down, um, I don't care about a lot of this marketing um, description about what it does. They talk about the benefits of fish oil, uh, and you can go look up, uh, you can go look up the studies they cite. I, I'm a big fan of Legion, and their they cite their studies, and that actually matches the science. I give them a very high rating with the science they the, the science the articles they link match what they're saying. Unlike other supplement companies, they'll just like drop a random article and hope no one clicks on it and reads it. Um, anyway, okay, so uh, it's produced from deep water Peruvian anchovies and sardines, caught by fisheries approved by a friend of the sea and meets the stringent purity standards of EPRS and all these other ones. So that to me sounds good. They're they're citing where in the world is it coming from and the type of fish. Now. Um, the other fish oil kind of did that to some degree. Okay, they list the health claims, which we're not we're not that concerned about health claims because they're both fish oil. Um, but uh, they talk about the processing here, the fish oil types that they do. Triglyceride, uh, the triglyceride type is natural unprocessed. Ethyl ester, which is the uh, cheaper way to do it, but it is, uh, was it less? I think it's less uh, absorption. We'll look at it in a second. Reacerified triglyceride which is the more expensive, uh, improves, the, improves the bioavailability. Yes, yeah, the bioavailability, which means how much can we actually absorb from it? So they go through the pros and cons of that. Um, and to summarize, cheap eth ethyl, um, ethyl ester fish oil products is get what you pay for. So let's look at their claims. They're claiming this, that basically if, you, if the competition doesn't say they use re-esterified triglyceride, you're getting less of it. Let's see if they back that up because I actually want to see. Let's let's fact check them. Okay, so uh, and I actually haven't done this. So we're doing this live on stream. Um, it releases alcohol in the body, which possibly by liver. Da, da, da. Okay, I want to look for the bioavailability stuff. Okay, so ethyl ester fish oil is much more resistant to breakdown in the body than triglyceride. Stratified, blah, blah blah. Okay, so thirty one. We're gonna look at study number thirty one. And then we're going to go back to where we were. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to open all these really quick. And we're going to go through and fact check Legion. It's nice that they give me the studies and they say the claims and they put it side by side with everything. Okay. Um, Reesterified triglyceride 
and reesterified triglyceride fish oils are better absorbed than ethyl ester oil, resulting in large increases in plasma, EPA, and DHA levels. They cite four studies. Let's go check them all out. And I think this will be good enough for what I want to see. Also, it oxidizes, goes bad more easily. So 30, 27 through 30 and 34. So let me do 27. Okay, so 34. 27, 28, 29, 30. So now let's fact check them, okay? Let's go through and see what is it that they were claiming and does it match everything that they were talking about. Lipolysis of Manhattan oil trisoglycerols and the corresponding fatty acid, alkyl esters, pancreatic lipase, lipase in vitro, re-examination. So this is in vitro, which that is, uh, which study number was this? Uh, I gotta, I mean, let me double check what they were actually um, referencing. So this is, I think, 30, 31. So 31, going back, let me go back up to where, what, what was the claim that 31 was making? <clears throat> and again, I'm kind of walking you guys through the process of how I would shop for supplements. Fact check them, what matters, all that stuff. So 31, they're saying ethyl ester oil is more resistant to breakdown in the body than triglyceride or reesterified triglyceride oils. Basically, reesterified triglyceride oils, what their Triton and their legions using, they're saying is easier to absorb, easier to break down. So let's take a look. Now, I'm not that familiar with the science of triglycerides, so I'm not going to understand some of these things. I'm going to do my best to pick out what actually matters. And this might be in over my head, but let's just see if there's any red flag standing out to us that says like this, they're full of shit. They did not match what this said. So let's take a look. Talk about the background of what it does. They evaluated eight weeks of four grams in nine to 40, in nine, 25 to 45 year old subjects. Checking rate of muscle protein synthesis. mTOR, checking the mTOR signaling pathway and the post-absorptive conditions after consuming fish oil. Also measured a uh, concentration of protein, RNA, DNA, and muscle to obtain indices of the protein synthetic capacity. Da -da -da -da. Neither basal protein... Anabolic response to insulin and amino acid infusion was greater in LCN3 PUFA. In addition, the muscle protein concentration of the protein slash DNA ratio were both greater in LCN3 PUFA supplementation. <clears throat> um, we conclude that LCN3 PUFAs have anabolic properties in healthy, young, middle-aged adults. So LCN3 PUFAs. Long chain N3 polyunsaturated fatty acids. So is that uh, the same as the reesterified triglyceride? I don't know. Um, I don't know the terms. So I'm going to actually look at the study a little bit because this is going to get pretty dry pretty fast. But they're probably going to define the terms somewhere like an introduction. So let me just skim the introduction of this really quick to see if they define it. Okay, I'm not seeing it defined there. So let's look at esterified. Wait, how do they make sure I spell it right? Reesterified is not in there. Let's check um, ethyl ester. Okay, so where is this? This is in the methods. So in the methods, 
Okay, so the methods of the study. No, this is not referring to what fish oil they used. So I'm trying to find what kind of fish oils that they're com uh, comparing. And this might require way too much of a deep dive to define it in the study, which I'll talk about in just a second, but let me keep skimming this. So they used Lovaza research. Okay, hold on. Actually, you know what? They define it at the beginning in the abstract what fish oil they used. They use um, Lovaza fish oil, I believe. So let's take a look. Lovaza fish oil. Is it mentioned? Do they sell? Where is Lovaza fish oil? Mm, I'm not seeing it here. I might be misunderstanding something. Uh, Lovaza omega-3, omega-3, 1,000 milligrams is prescription. Oh, okay. Uh, Waifu Nation, can you look up by any chance? Is it easy for you to look up if it's an ethyl ester fish oil? Waifu's my waifu. Or a reacerified triglyceride oil? That explains why I couldn't find it. <clears throat> anyway, um, so just to kind of walk you through this, I could not find my answer immediately, which means it's gonna take up a lot of time to kind of dive down and figure out these definitions and why Legion is drawing these conclusions from this study. It's not immediately obvious to me, which doesn't mean they're, they're full of BS or not. It just means I need to spend probably like 30 minutes to read the study and start Googling terms and figuring out um, how what they're claiming relates to the study because it might be in there. Uh, it didn't stand out to me as no, that wasn't in there. But anyway, so um, that being said, we'll give them because I've reviewed them so much and they have a very, very high pass rate in terms of their claims match what the science says. We're going to give them the benefit of the doubt on that one and just move on because for the sake of this, um, the sake of this stream and video, we're going to keep on going. So anyway, the next one was um, this is, I believe, about uh, oxidation. It goes bad more easily. They're saying. Ethyl ester fish oil go oxidizes and goes bad more easily. So let's see what the abstract says and if we can get that answer out of it quickly and then move on. And again, for like those who are really curious about the science, I would recommend much longer periods of time, like actually reading through the studies and understanding everything they're saying. Um, instead of just skimming the abstract for the sake of this medium, we're just kind of skimming abstracts to see if it stands out to us as yes, this is what they said or not. Okay, so... Um, waifu defined Lovaza and it's ethyl esters. It's a combination of ethyl esters. So she defined it for us. So let's go back here. The ethyl esters, they took, what did they take? Eight weeks of ethyl esters. They took eight weeks of ethyl esters, Lovaza. They did not, what are they compared against? I don't think they compared it against like, um, I don't think they compared it against a reacerified triglyceride. So that actually kind of, I think dings them a little bit because I don't think that's matching what they were saying. My initial inspection anyway. So, um, cause the conclusion uh, they're basically saying is the long chain PUFAs, which is um, the ethyl esters 
the evil esters has good properties in young and middle-aged adults which again this is this is kind of a question mark like this isn't quite matching up what they're saying it's not obvious to me it requires more uh diving into things and here's the cool thing about legion you can actually just email them they have a team or at least a guy dedicated to look at the science and explain the claims so for this exact one i'm after this uh stream is over i'm going to email them and say what like, how does this relate? Can you explain to me? Because I'll explain, like, this sounds like they're talking about, they're not even talking about re-estimated triglycerides. So um, I'm going to ask them that and then see what the response is. Maybe I'll update it later. Anyway, let's move on to the next one because this is kind of going on long um, for kind of diving into the studies. I'm not very familiar with the fish oil studies, so it's not as obvious to me about the terms. Anyway, so let's see. They incubated a, an oil in um, fatty acid, methyl, and ethyl esters. With the released fatty acids, are they talking about reesterified? Um, actually, let's look at just oxidize. Nope. Um, reesterified. Nope. Okay. They did not um, mention it to me here. They did not mention it in a uh, very obvious conclusion. Meaning, I think we're in the same situation as the previous study, which is. It's not, we're not gonna get a quick answer from this. So, um, okay. Ethyl esters were hydrolyzed 10 to 50 times more slowly than the corresponding gl gl glycerol esters, depending on the exact ratio of the two substrate types. None of the triglycerols, ethyl esters, however, were completely resistant to hydrolysis, resulting in eventual Cleavage of the alkali esters. Da, da, da. So this to me, this sounds like they they might they might be talking about the same thing. I don't know how these terms convert to what they're talking about here for reesterified triglyceride versus um versus the uh, ethyl esters. I just don't know. So that's it. Sounds like the study is talking about that. So this is where I would start googling for these terms and trying to figure out who's saying what and like what does the study actually say in terms of what Legion's saying. Okay, so uh, again, try spelling with a, re with a hyphen, reesterified. I don't think it was even in, in here. Yeah, the hyphenized, uh, hy hyphenated, uh, reesterified wasn't even in this paragraph. So anyway, let's move on to the next one about um, what was the other claim that they had? I wanted to review. Uh, it's better absorbed. So reesterified triglyceride is better absorbed than ethyl ester. So they got four studies for that. So hopefully this will be quick. Hopefully they're actually going to like kind of spell it out for us. Oxidative stability for EPA and DHA um, and DHA enriched fish oil, triglycerol versus ethyl ester were compared to 80 degrees storage with aeration. The oxidation was much, uh, DHA oxidation much higher than the EPA. Uh, DHA in ethyl ester form was more susceptible to auto oxidation than the TG form, triglyceride form. So this explains basically oxidation was higher. Note though that this is not necessarily practical. 80 degrees centigrade is fucking hot. Humans cannot live in that. So uh, this may not be practical. It's like if you leave it in your car, maybe maybe if you leave fish oil in your car, this might relate. So interesting, this does kind of match what they're saying, but not practical just based off of that. So we move on to the next one. Again, we're kind of speeding this up, but I'm kind of showing you guys, this is my thought process, a short picture of my thought process for fact-checking supplements and seeing uh, what matters, what does the science say, and stuff like that. 
Okay, so bioavailability of omega-3, N3 is omega-3, fatty acid formulations. Okay, so um, it compares three concentrated preparations, ethyl esters, free fatty acids on the triglyceride form, re-esterified triglycerides. Perfect. This sounds like they're doing it. And they com uh, compare the placebo-controlled, ooh, placebo oil, double-blind study. Fantastic. So this sounds really good. 72 volunteers. That's a good size. That's nice. 3.3 grams, lots of fish oil. Great. For two weeks. Man, this sounds like a really good study. Let's keep reading. Increases in absolute EPA and DHA in the fasting serum triglycerides, basically in your blood. We're examined. They checked how much was in your blood. Bioavailability from EPA, DHA, from reestablished triglycerides was superior 124% compared to natural fish oil, whereas bioavailability of the ethyl esters was inferior 73%. So there you go. That's probably... The, the most damning evidence that supports what Legion is saying. However, is this difference of 124% to 73% enough to justify that? Using some basic math, somewhere to the order of close to double, let's just like, let's just round to close a little bit under doubling. You're getting double the amount from reesterified triglyceride versus the ethyl ester. Bringing this math back in, all, it's not quite double, I know, but it's close to. So price-wise, the re-esterified triglyceride, we're paying. So we're, we're paying more for stability, and in some case, uh, doubling. We are doubling the absorption of what we're, we're getting double what we pay for, or we're getting half of what we pay for here. Meaning, the price is not that far off from each other. So again, these are the kinds of things I think about, because just because something's got better bioavailability, does the cost justify it? Um, again, my biggest thing is the heavy metals is, is kind of what would turn me off to this, actually to Dr. Tobias' stuff compared to Legion. Uh, also, Legion, I trust the brand. Uh, anyway, free fatty acid bioavailability, 91%. Did not differ significantly from natural triglycerides. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that was good. Let's keep reading. Um, triglycerides versus ethyl ester. So I think this one is just comparing double-blinded, placebo-controlled, 150 people comparing fish oil as re-esterified triglycerides. Um, tag versus placebo corn oil versus fish oil concentrate EPA DHA as ethyl ester. So EE versus RTAG. That's what we care about. Okay, they did this over six months. And they checked baseline three months and six months in. Okay, so these are these are reasonable studies. They're they're they look like they're well designed. So um with statistical significance or with with good certainty that this wasn't random chance, uh Omega-3 index in the R-tag, the re-esterified triglyceride group, was bigger. 161% at three months, 171% at six months. So, sounds like it's not quite double, like I said. It's, it's getting, it's approaching double. So, um, that, 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 uh, that, that also confirms what Legion's saying. Uh, these are getting kind of dry, so we're just doing this last one. We'll stop here. Or actually, is this good enough, guys? Should we just stop and then move back to the product? How long has it been going? It's gone for a while. So we'll just stop here. Um, you guys get the idea about what I am um, what I am comparing here. So this is the idea of like, this is what I go through for comparing it. And I look at Legion's claims. They're basically saying this form of fish oil is better than others. And if, if they don't say they're using that form, you could assume they're using the cheapest one, which would be ethyl ester. So um, anyway higher bioavailability and so forth. Now, um, 
let me just skim this or anything else. Criteria strict for their fish oil, 100% re-esterified triglyceride oil. Uh, high concentrations of EPA, DHA, sustainably sourced, and fish naturally low in pollutants. Yep. So and I'll, again, I like the, the vitamin E. So again, to review all of this, the the kind of put it together, Dr. Tobias' stuff looks decent, but not great. I didn't like that they did not that they did not list where the fish were coming from in the world's oceans. Um, and they barely mentioned which fish it was coming from and um kind of wish they it was kind of a, a variety of fish. I did not like that there was salmon in there. Okay. That being said, uh the price is about half the cost as Triton's fish oil, but is miss but Triton has vitamin E in it for stability. They actually list the dosage of the vitamin E versus Tobias's, they did not list the dosage. If they don't list the dose, then um my experience is it's probably pixie dusted in there. So vitamin E, they give you 48 IU. 160% of your daily value or recommended daily value. Uh, so they have the vitamin E in there. They uh, use smaller fish. It's exclusively smaller fish. They list the ocean that it comes from. They're using re-esterified triglycerides, which we just confirmed at the very minimum, it is better, it's more bioavailability. We could not confirm in the short amount of time that we had that it actually uh, is it, it, it's more stable because that was a claim that Legion made that they said it's more stable. I could not extract that from the study in five minutes, unfortunately. So um, reading studies properly actually can take a lot of time and you should you should practice like this is kind of I mean fun, I guess. Is it fun? You guys? I don't know. It's also kind of dry, which is why I don't do it too much on stream. But in a nutshell, like the, the damning the damning thing to me is uh, is better bioavailability. I trust the science on this and I trust Legion. Um, and also it's more stable because you're using vitamin E and is probably less heavy metals. Maybe, uh, email both companies, ask them their toe talk scores. So those factors combined, it's like, why would I pay? Why would I pay double? Um, why would I pay? I mean, I'm paying half the price for Dr. Tobias, but it might actually be very much comparable to the same amount of EPA DHA with less heavy metals. So why not just go with Triton? That's what I would do. Uh, and again, hashtag, hashtag sponsored. Oh, well, time for our sponsors. They are here watching us. Our sponsor overlords are always watching us. But anyway, uh, but seriously, um, I would, as a consumer, I would, I would just purchase Legion's Triton over that. And code Tom for 20% off your first purchase and 10% off or, or double the loyalty points for 10% off on future purchases. Hashtag ad. If this podcast earned it, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. We're new to the podcast space and we will be reading all the feedback. Also, if you like the content, follow us on twitch.tv slash time and keep notifications on for when we go live. Feed your brain, feed your body, and we'll see you next time.